If you would turn in your Bibles once again to Isaiah chapter 6. And I have an outline in your bulletin today. If you would like to take notes, follow along. <clears throat> a friend of mine once, one day, had decided to ride his bike with his eyes closed. And it did, it went pretty well until he hit a parked car. And the person that was watching him do this yelled at him and says, Open your eyes. Well, it says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And my prayer today is that God would open the eyes of our hearts today so that we might see what God wants us to see. Isaiah saw three things, and God wants us to see these three things today too as well. And so as we consider our text today in Isaiah chapter 6, the scene opens in the year of King Uzziah's death. King Uzziah was one of the better kings of Judah. He ascended to the throne at the age of 16, and he reigned for 52 years. In 2 Chronicles 26.4, we read, He did right in the eyes of the Lord. For most of his career as king, Uzziah was a great and beloved king. The story of Uzziah, though, ends with a very sad note. He committed the sin of pride after he had acquired great wealth and power. And one day he tried to play God. He had entered the temple and arrogantly claimed for himself the right that God had given only to the priest. And when the priests of the temple tried to stop him, uh, this tried to stop this act of, act of sacrilege, Uzziah became enraged. And while he was screaming at them in fury, the Bible says leprosy broke out on his forehead. And the Bible says of King Uzziah, he lived in a separate house, being a leper, cut off from the house of the Lord. When Uzziah died, in spite of the shame of his latter years, it was a time of national mourning. I still remember very vividly when I was in grade school, one day <clears throat> the teacher left the room and she came back crying. And I didn't realize, well, what is she crying about? And it was on that day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Now, whether you agreed with John F. Kennedy's policies or not, it was a time of national mourning. What well, was true for the kingdom of Judah as well. And Isaiah, too, went to the temple looking for comfort in a time of not only national mourning, but personal grief. But as Isaiah comes into the temple, he got more than he bargained for. It says in verse 1 that Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofted and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. <clears throat> the king was dead. But when Isaiah entered the temple, he saw another king, the ultimate king, the one who sat forever on the throne of Judah. He saw 
the Lord. Now there are three things that Isaiah comes to see here. And there are three things God wants us to see here. The first thing is that God wants us to see a vision of himself, of God himself. Many people say they know God, when they, when you, but when you press them on the matter a little bit, you quickly discover that their understanding about God is really more what they think he ought to be than what God actually reveals himself to be in Scripture. Even in my membership classes, I will ask a question. Now, if you had one word to describe God, what word would that be? And very few times have I had any response. People don't know how to give even one word to describe God. Think of all the attributes of God. And yet so often people don't know what to say. I had a man in our church that often referred to God, never used the term God. He always said, the man upstairs. Have you ever heard that? The man upstairs. Like, <clears throat> don't you know who it is? The man upstairs. Or the unknowable someone. <clears throat> to many people, God is a kind and loving God and puts up with our mistakes and looks the other way when we sin. Is that the kind of God that the Bible describes? How can we truly know what God is like? Well, we need to look at the scriptures. And so today in our text, we see three, at least three attributes. Three things that Isaiah needed to know about God. First of all, we see the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty. Notice verse 1, <clears throat> Isaiah says, <clears throat> I saw the Lord. And then look at verse 5. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, please note the two words, Lord. In my Bible, they are different. The first Lord in verse 1 is a capital L in lower cases. The second Lord in verse 5 is all capitalized. Have you noticed that? You see, in verse 1, the word Lord is the Hebrew word Adonai, which means sovereign one. Sovereign one. This is the title for God. And when Lord is in all capitals, like it is in verse 5, the Hebrew word is Yahweh. Yahweh. This is a sacred name for God. In Psalm 8, verse 1, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And if you look at Psalm 8, verse 1, the two words Lord are, are different again. <clears throat> the first Lord is all capital. The second is a capital L and then lowercase letters. And so we could render it this way. Oh God, how our, our sovereign one, how excellent is your name in all the earth. In verse 5, we also have the word king. And with this word, we have the word sovereign. God is king. God rules over everything. In Psalm 29, verse 10, yes, the Lord sits as king forever. Now, how many of you believe that God is sovereign? <clears throat> how many of you live as though God is sovereign? So the first attribute is the sovereignty of God. 
The second attribute we see is the word holy. Now, what does that mean? What does the word holy mean? Well, we define holy as purity, free from every stain, perfect, or sometimes we define holy as without sin. But the primary meaning of holy is separate. Separate. Uh, It comes from an ancient word to mean to cut or to separate. When we find a garment that is outstanding, that has a superior excellence, we use the expression that it is a cut above the rest. You see, God's holiness is more than just separateness. His holiness is transcendent. To transcend is to rise above something, to go above and beyond a certain limit. This word describes God's supreme and absolute greatness. R.C. Sproul, in one of his books, he says, The Bible calls God holy, and it means that God is so far above and beyond us that he seems almost totally foreign to us. His holiness. God alone is holy in himself. And only God can make someone or something holy. You and I are not holy in and of ourselves. Only God is holy. Now God can declare us to be holy through faith in Jesus, but in and of ourselves we're not holy. On a handful of occasions the Bible repeats something to the third degree. To mention something three times in succession is to elevate it to the superlative degree. For instance, Revelation chapter 8, verse 13, where John writes, And I looked and I heard an eagle flying in the mid-heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Only once in Scripture is an attribute of God elevated to the third degree. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God is love, love, love. But notice in verse 3, the seraphim, one of the seraphim called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The seraphim, it says, were above the throne. Here Isaiah comes into the temple. He has this vision of God high, sitting on this throne. And and above the throne, these seraphim, these angels, angelic beings, and even in their lofty status, it is necessary for them to shield their eyes from a direct gaze on the face of God in all of his glory, all of his majesty, all of his holiness. And the Bible says with two they cover their feet. I believe uh, an idea of humility and reverence before the creator God. If even the holy angels could not look upon the holiness of God, with what godly fear should we approach his throne? 
reverence when we come into his presence. When two or three are gathered, Jesus said, there I am in the midst. We should have such respect and awe and reverence for God as we come. The third attribute is the word all-powerful or omnipotent. You see, if God is sovereign, which he is, according to Scripture, he must also be all-powerful. Verse 4, it says, His voice and power was felt in the temple. A few years ago, a survey was taken of people who used to be church members. It revealed that the main reason that they stopped going to church was that they found it boring. It is difficult for many people to find worship a thrilling and moving experience. And so I've been in churches where I feel like I'm being entertained. And that's not true worship. I'm not coming to church for, for you to say to God, well, impress me, God. I, I'm not here to be entertained. I'm here to worship the Lord. I, I'm here to hear from his word. I want the Holy Spirit to work in my heart and life. And when people have that kind of an attitude, I, I really think it's a heart issue. It's a spiritual issue. We should long for worship. We should long to come to God's house. We should long to gather with other believers. We should long for that. We see in our text, when God appeared in the temple, <clears throat> the doors, the thresholds were moved by the very presence of God. They were shaken. They trembled. But they were not the only things that were shaken. The thing that trembled the most in that temple that day was a person by the name of Isaiah. When he saw the living God and all of his holiness, Isaiah cries out, Woe is me. Where should the power of God be felt? I think the power of God should be felt every time we come into his presence. Whether it be at church or in our quiet time as we open God's word, we should sense the power of God. And we need a shaking today. We need a shaking in the church. We need to be revived and I need to be revived in my own personal life. And I believe that's true of every believer, too. The second thing God wants us to see, first of all, God wanted Isaiah to see a vision of, of God himself. And we see that for ourselves here today. But the second thing is, God wanted Isaiah to see a vision of himself. God wants to see a vision of ourselves. You see, the word woe is an oracle of doom. It's an oracle of judgment. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he pronounced the judgment of God upon himself. Woe is me. When he saw the holiness of God, the sudden realization of his personal depravity came like a stroke from heaven upon the trembling heart of Isaiah. Woe is me, I am ruined. Now, I like King James here. King James uses a, a word that we hardly ever hear anymore, 
And that is the word undone. Isaiah, or King James reads it this way, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am undone. You see, to be undone means to come apart at the seams. To be unraveled. Isaiah was considered um, by his contemporaries as a man of integrity. And when you're a man of integrity, you would say, this guy's got it all together. And the most righteous man in the nation, many considered Isaiah. But when he caught one sudden glimpse of the holiness of God, all of his self-esteem was shattered. In a brief second, he was exposed, made naked before the gaze of a holy God, a holy absolute standard of holiness. And as long as Isaiah could compare himself to other people of his day, he was able to sustain kind of a lofty attitude about himself. But the instant he measured himself to God's holiness, he was destroyed. He was destroyed morally and spiritually. He was undone. He came apart. There was no more integrity. Maybe we could use the word disintegration. And Isaiah confessed, I'm a man of unclean lips. Interesting, isn't it? Why he would say that? Why he didn't say, I'm a man of unclean works. I am a man of of unclean thoughts. But he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't fully know what Isaiah meant there, but maybe the words of Jesus would give us some indication. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, 11, and then verses 18 and 19, he said, it is not what enters the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth This defiles the man. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and slanders. You see, God through his word has a way to expose our sin. And Isaiah's sin was exposed. He was a man of unclean lips. His heart was not clean. And it left Isaiah ruined. It left him undone. But not only did Isaiah see the sinfulness of his own heart, but he also saw the sinfulness of those around him. He was not alone in this dilemma. Notice verse 5, he says, In verse 5 he says, For my eyes, I live among a people of unclean lips. When one is saved, not only do you begin to see your own sin, but you begin to see sin around you as well. Before, nothing bothered you, but now all of a sudden, when God saves a soul, you not only begin to see sin come alive in your own heart and life that would drive us to Jesus, but also you begin to see sin around you. For the first time, 
Isaiah came to understand who God was. And at the same time, for the first time, Isaiah understood who Isaiah was. Psalm 130, verse 3. It says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Isaiah couldn't. I can't. You can't. Isaiah must have been, it doesn't say here this here, but <clears throat> I have to believe that Isaiah was, <clears throat> was lying on the floor of the temple. I, I believe Isaiah was probably praying even, saying, Lord, uh, I, I just want the earth to somehow cover me. There's nowhere to hide. Isaiah responds by acknowledging his sin and guilt. You see, repentance is agreeing with God that he is right and I'm wrong. <laughs> I remember still vividly the night that I came to salvation. I wasn't in the temple. I wasn't in the church. I was in the basement of my parents' home. And I was listening to a message by Billy Graham. And I tell you, the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart. And I was on the floor crying. Crying for forgiveness. I had been running away from God so long. And God was pursuing me. And I acknowledged my sin that night to God. Asking God to forgive me. You see, friend, I'm, I'm glad to declare to you today that <clears throat> this God of holiness is also a God of grace. What did God do? Look at verses 6 and 7. God took immediate steps to cleanse Isaiah and restore his soul. God commanded one of the angels, one of the seraphim, to take a coal from the altar, and he did it with tongs, and he took that coal and touched Isaiah's mouth. You know, friend, the lips are one of the most sensitive parts of the human flesh. That's why when you start dating and you kiss, guys, you kiss a girl for the first time, isn't it send sensations over you? Like, oof, <laughs> that's a sensitive part. And, and think, about, <clears throat> think about when a coal, a burning coal touches one's lips. Isaiah must have felt this holy fire burning his mouth. <clears throat> and in this divine act of cleansing, Isaiah was cleansed throughout, forgiven to the core, but not without the awful pain of repentance. Dear friend, repentance is painful. Repentance is painful because it is humbling ourselves before God, God who's exposed us for what we are. It brings us to our knees, crying out to God for mercy and forgiveness. And, and what did God do? And what did God say? He said to Isaiah, <clears throat> Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. Now the word forgiven means literally, it could be translated this way, <clears throat> Your sin is atoned for. You see, what God was doing here to Isaiah, what the God had commanded the angels to do, it really pointed forward to the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross of what he would come to do for all of mankind. 
And then finally, <clears throat> finally we have the vision of God's mission and of the lost. Verse 8, where God says to Isaiah, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah's vision of God took on a new dimension. God said, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I think it's interesting. He uses the triunity here, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, us. Isaiah understood to be, that to be sent mean, meant to, to be an ambassador, an emissary, to be a spokesperson for the deity. Think about this man who had unclean lips. Now he was cleansed. Now he was ready to be used by God. His heart was ready to serve. And notice Isaiah did not say, and I hear sometimes people read it this way, and I don't think your Bible says it this way, but some people will say, here I am. Isaiah did not say that. Isaiah did not say, here I am, because that would indicate location, and he knew where he was, and God knew where he was. But Isaiah says, here am I. He was stepping forward to volunteer. As a result of being cleansed by God, he says to God, I will go, look no further, send me. And there's two important things that must be noted here. Isaiah was not Humpty Dumpty. In the nursery rhyme, the fall of Mr. Dumpty is tragic because no one in the entire kingdom had the power to put him together again. Yet he was no more fragile than Isaiah. Isaiah was shattered into as many pieces as any fallen egg. But God put him together again. God can take a shattered person and he can cleanse us. He can restore us. And he can send us into ministry. And the second thing is that God's work of grace did not annihilate his personal identity. He says, here am I. His identity was in God. For the believer today, our identity is in Jesus Christ. God heals the self so that it may be useful and fulfilled in the mission to which the person is called. My friend, if you are one who has been saved by God's grace, You've experienced his forgiveness. And I pray that your response would be of Isaiah's. Here am I, Lord. Use me. Maybe that might be some particular office in church. It could be a Sunday school teacher. It could be to go across the street to visit that neighbor who is dying. But are you willing to be used by God? I can't help but think of this last verse of heart the voice of Jesus calling. Let none, let none hear you idly saying, there is nothing I can do. While the souls of men are dying and the master calls for you, take the task he gives you gladly. Let his work your pleasure be. Answer quickly when he calleth. Here am I. Send me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that we would see these three things today. 
that we would see you, God, in all of your holiness, all your glory and majesty, and realize, Lord, today that, that I'm ruined. I'm undone. As we see who we are, we are unholy. And we need God's mercy and forgiveness. We need God's grace to save. But Lord, when we come to experience that mercy and grace, Lord, may our response be to answer that call to the mission that God calls us to, to use our spiritual gifts in the building up of the body of Christ. To be able to say, Lord, here am I. Send me, use me for your honor and for your glory. For we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.